Uh, we're excited this morning. Uh, our last um, uh, congregational meeting, we received uh, three families uh, as uh, formally received them as members of this church. Uh, and this morning, we're going to give them an opportunity to, uh, to say a couple of words. I've given them each two minutes. Apparently, I'm supposed to do this when their two minutes are up. Uh, and then we'll uh, accept them into membership. So, uh, Daryl and Ruth, uh, Joel and Jody, and Dominic and Kara, why don't you come up? And Daryl, I have a chair for you. Colin, which mic do you want them to use? Blue it is. We'll let you go first so that you can sit. Oh, my. Well, first thing I want to say is you're looking at a wretched sinner saved by grace. That's the first thing, to let you know that I am not perfect. However, my life, in my life, many challenges, but saying that, it all began when I was born, my walk with God, technically. I was very blessed to be born into a very spiritual family, and reading Bible stories was part of my life. My mother really cared about me. And at the same time, I did have challenges because I grew up for the first six years in Winnipeg. It was too small. And finally, my father has said to me, said to me I moved out to the farm to take over his dad's farm to save my life because that was one of the reasons why they also said it's time to get how say, get out of Dodge, <laughs> because the, he, he recognized the fact that he had a son that needed to have more space. But saying that, went to church, but I didn't get saved in a church, you know? Went to church every Sunday, always was brought to church. I was saved in a Bible camp, Hillbury Bible Camp, if any of you know where that was, up in the Interlake, is where I got saved. And saying that... Um, I always encourage people, send your kids to Bible camp because you know what? That's maybe where they will meet God. And uh, so that's where I got saved. Yes, I did struggle in my teen years because I grew up in a very, very, very small church. This is a large church for me to be a part of a church. And saying that, I, uh, I did struggle. In fact, for you that are in the youth, I was the youth. That was it. So then, as young people, uh, you know, you need to have interaction with other young people and saying that that's what we did and we chose worldly things because that's where there was young people to hang out with. But deep down inside, knew that that's not where I belonged. But saying that, I was fortunate to live a life, like I said, in a church. I've had exposure to many different uh, denominational and theological things uh, that, uh, so I'm glad that I was. And, uh, and then God, of course, put this lady in my life. I always brag to the fact is the only girl that I ever asked out, I married. So that was a great thing. 
But anyways, uh, thank you so much as a church for accepting us as members. I feel very strongly that a membership is very important within a church. And uh, so thank you very much. I think I've used up my time before Pastor goes. I am very thankful for the Christian home I was raised in. When I was a young girl, around eight or nine, I attended summer camp in the Winnipegosis area, and it was there that a counselor led my sister and I to the Lord. I remember asking Jesus to come into my heart and forgive my sins. When I was in high school, a revival was sweeping through my hometown of Brandon, and the Holy Spirit was convicting me <coughs> that I was just going through the motions, and I needed to have a more personal relationship with my Savior. From then on, everything I did, whether in my school, home, or church life, took on more meaning than ever before. I was baptized in my home church, Grace Mennonite, in Brandon. I moved to Winnipeg shortly after that, and then I met Daryl and moved to Moosehorn, which seemed like the end of civilization. In 2008, I became a member of the Moosehorn Baptist Church. In 2021, we moved to Steinbeck after selling our home and property. We knew it was God's plan for us, as everything with our move just went into place so smoothly. I worried a lot about my anxiety when it comes to my any sort of major change and whether we would make friends and find a church when we got here. Again, God showed me his faithfulness. We have loved making new friends here at EFC and feel this is where God wants us. Okay, I hope I'm not cheesy or cliche, but um, family's always been a very important part of my life, and since going to Bible college, I could easily go back home uh, for Christmas break in the summers, but when we got married in September, this town or city, I guess, is my, I guess, permanent home, and uh, without sounding cliche, I have found my family here. Uh, I have been em embraced. Uh, I have been, I know my, my mom's mother heart sometimes, I think, hurts knowing that she can't be with me as we were very close. But she has been put at so much peace as I tell her about all the ways that we have been cared for. So thank you, and we're so excited to be part of this community. Yeah, um, I guess I can say a little bit about ourselves. So I'm Dominic, and this is Kiera. We both uh, recently graduated from Steinbeck Bible College this past April. Yeah, a couple alumni here. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just been really nice. We started attending EFC while we were in Bible College, uh, shortly after we started dating, actually. So kind of as our relationship has grown, we've been attending this church and yeah, I've just felt so welcomed by, um, by all the different generations. It's so cool um, being part of this um, group. We have like three generations here. And just, uh, <laughs> sure, sure. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's just been so cool seeing how the generations work together and um, yeah, being a part of investing in the next generation with the youth as well. So. Yeah, just thank you for um, accepting us as members and making us feel so at home and so welcome. Are already accepted, correct? 
We were approved. So I can tell you now, Kirk, especially, that I was the ringleader of that children's noise while you were having grown-up Sunday school. Um, but yeah, so too bad, too late for you. We're in. I was not a part of the WhatsApp group that told me I needed to be prepared this morning, so that's it for me. And I was part, and I didn't tell her. So that's my... I just wanted her two minutes. <laughs> so I have four. Um, Diane did uh, time the testimonies. Jody's was longer than mine on that night, so let the record show that. Um, uh, Joel and Jody, uh, I grew up in southern Alberta. Uh, Bible camp, again, was very influential in my life. And I just wanted to say my testimony was just so intertwined with personal relationships and people that came alongside or just were just friends or pushed me in the right direction. And just about this congregation, you guys are, are just a true gem here. And how we felt when we came here just... God's Holy Spirit. Are you guys laughing because you took a poll and when I was going to cry? Or no? Okay. Um, but again, I, I just, I just, kudos to you guys um, for just being a great church and just to motivate you guys and myself. You never know when you're going to say hello to someone or shake someone's hand and how far that's going to go. And so again, this is just a real special place and just kudos to all you guys and we're just so thankful to be a part of this. Or I preach, Joel. I'm going to ask you a few questions, and they know about these questions, so I'm not blindsiding them. And then I want to give you the right hand of fellowship on behalf of the church. Uh, so number one, have you been baptized upon the confession of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you acknowledge and accept our statement of faith, including all the fine print? I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Is it your desire to work together with us as God enables and be received into the fellowship of this church? Okay. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome aboard. Welcome. 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 That's, uh, that's always so exciting, and uh, as, as Dom already indicated, um, this group represents three different generations, and, and how sweet is that? This morning, uh, I, I think it's not a secret to you, this morning is the first Sunday of Advent. I've got to get this phone out of my pocket. Uh, first Sunday of Advent, and uh, Advent, the first Sunday, the candle is hope. Now, I, I, realize, I realize that everybody here and, and even those watching and listening to us online have a different heart. I realize that. And, and your heart might be harder than my heart. I realize that too. But as we sang, Jesus Christ, my living hope, there's two applications of that. Number one, he is your living hope. He's not dead. He's yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He still is living, and he's hope. Underline that. Secondly, your hope 
is living. It's not something that you had yesterday or the day before or last week or the day you got saved. It's a living hope that goes with you day after day. What, am I getting too emotional here? Sorry. Oh, okay. All right, all right. I, you know, we were singing that, and I'm going, He is our living hope. And, and whatever your heart is, I'm not going to say that it's nothing or whatever. No, I, I realize. But, but, but that living hope is what sustains us. So we don't want to glibly go through life, pay lip service to something, and then carry on. You know, you take your burdens to the cross, you lay them down and you pray, and then you pick them up and you walk away with them again. We don't want to do that. We want to be able to embrace that living hope, because he is alive, as Gerald read, and that hope that you and I have, that's a living hope. Every day, every hour, all the time. All right. That's not in my notes. It was just, it came out of the praise song this morning. So what is hope? <clears throat> what is hope? It's the confidence, it's the confidence that by embracing God's redemptive acts in the past, in other words, this isn't just some I'm going to buy a lottery ticket and I hope I win the 46 million. No. That's a pipe dream. It's actually probably not very smart. This is a hope that is based on God's redemptive acts in the past. There's a precedence. There's a history. There's something that you can go to the bank with. It's what God has done in the past. Together with our trusting responses in the present. So our hope has to also express itself in a trusting confidence in the present. And, and, you, and you need that because sometimes your heart is too hard for you to bear. You can't carry that load. It's too heavy. And that's also why we're not meant to be lone ranger Christians. You carry that thing all by yourself. That's not the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to help each other and carry together. So it's confidence in God's redemptive acts in the past. It's trusting in the present. And it's the faithful experience of God's fullness and his goodness, both in the present and in the future. He's coming back. And he keeps his promises. I don't think you've caught him in a lie ever. No. Thank you. Thank you for affirming that. That's an amen. God is faithful. It's, it's actually outside of his character and personality not to be faithful. It's who he is. And, and scripture uses the word hesed, faithful love, to describe his love. It's a faithful love. It's not just love. It's also faithful. It's a faithful love. Hope from a worldly perspective is generally a projection of our own subjective possibilities. Well, I hope I get a raise. Oh, I hope I win the lottery. Oh, I hope I don't hit a deer on the way back from Vita, etc. Okay? From a worldly perspective, that's hope. And you know what? It doesn't always turn out. Biblical hope, however, avoids this subjectivity by being founded on something that provides a sufficient basis for confidence in its fulfillment. God and his fulfilling redemptive acts. 
He's already demonstrated that through his birth, life, and death and resurrection. And, and today, first Sunday of Advent, we're celebrating the coming of Christ. And, and let's be honest here. Christmas really loses a lot of its significance if you don't also add Easter. They're bookends. Yeah, he came to walk amongst us and show us the, the word became flesh and, and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us. He came to demonstrate, he came to be God in our presence. Yes, that has value, absolutely. But then he also had this mission of restoring what was lost, redeeming what was lost. And if he would have stayed in the grave, hopeless. So we have this amazing hope. What about hope in the, in the Old Testament? In the Old Testament, hope meant to wait or to look for with eager, confident expectation and trust. And the essential notion in the Old Testament is that God is reliable and worthy of his people's trust. And man, you and I can point fingers at the Israelites. God rescued them with, first of all, all the plagues in Egypt, then brought them out, then brought them across uh, the Red Sea, then provided manna and quail and water, etc., etc., miracle after miracle. And what did they do? Hmm. Well, we all know not trust. In fact, they rebelled. And while we're looking down our nose at them for their lack of trust and hope and faith, we have to actually turn the mirror back and look at ourselves and say, how well are we doing? Because we also have all of that history, all of that example of faithfulness to add to our own experience. Trusting and hoping in God is an expression of faith, but it is not blind faith. It's not blind faith. It is, it is based on hard facts and experience. In the Old Testament, hope is both a trusting attitude in an active and providential deliverance, but also an eschatological hope in God's ultimate deliverance. You see, you and I, and I, I don't know, I know the kids and the young people, you, you have a lot of stuff ahead of you yet that you want to experience. And some of you, you don't want to say it out loud, but you're hoping God won't, Christ won't come back too soon because you want to get married and have kids, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I understand that. Some of us old guys like me would be willing to go tomorrow. Except I've got grandchildren, and I know they need a grandpa for a while yet, so I guess if the Lord tarries, that's good too. But where's our hope? Where's our hope? We're all hoping that one day we will be with him in glory. That, that, that perfect communion and relationship that was built in Genesis 1 and 2 with God and humanity was torn asunder because of our rebellion. And when Christ comes back and when we get to heaven, that's going to be restored perfectly. All of those descriptions of heaven in Scripture, are they fall short. It's impossible for us as humans to actually describe the reality of what that's going to be like. And, and by the way, forget the streets paved of gold and all this other stuff. That's just an attempt to try and increase value. The central attraction in heaven is Jesus Christ and being with him. 
Everything else pales by comparison. That's the thing we're looking forward to. That's the hope that carries us through our hard, our days of difficulties, etc. Isaiah 25, 9 speaks of such hope. It says, look, this is our God. We have waited for him and he saved us. This is Yahweh. We waited for him. Let us be glad and let us rejoice in his salvation. Micah also in 7 verse 7 affirms by saying, But as for me, I will look to Yahweh. I will wait for the God of my salvation. There's this underlying message of hope in the Old Testament. Despite the challenges and the difficulties, they clung to this hope. Well, what about in the New Testament? <clears throat> the New Testament continues to speak of God as the source and object of our hope. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. The God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. There, hope is mentioned twice. As he fills you, the God of hope fills you with joy and peace as you trust in him, then he also overflows with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit in you. The metaphors of hope applied to God in the Old Testament are now applied to Jesus Christ, God's Messiah in the New Testament. And words for hope have to do with trust and confidence. The expectation of what is sure to come and the active, faith-filled waiting for God to fill, fulfill that which he inaugurated by the Holy Spirit. I know it's sometimes hard to wait, isn't it? It's sometimes hard to hope. Uh, sometimes, sometimes we're a little bit like Peter after he got out of the boat. Tremendous expression of faith. But then he took his eyes off of Jesus and looked at the waves. And sometimes we get, we get so spellbound by our circumstances and by our heart that we take our eyes off of Jesus and we look at our circumstances and they pull us down. They, they bury us. And then, of course, then we also have to save ourselves. And, and then, right, and then we implode. And we need to lift our eyes to Jesus. That doesn't mean that you and I are irresponsible in terms of how we deal with life, but it does mean that we have to continue to make sure that Jesus is the center of our hope. Hope in the New Testament has an objective focus. It means expectation with a nuance of counting on. So if I would say that I hope that Diane will take me out for lunch today, uh, what I mean is that I'm counting on her doing that. It's more than just hope. It's, it's expectation. I actually expect it to happen. So in Paul's letters, hope is bound up with eager expectation or anticipation. And Paul writes of waiting and hope for our adoption as sons of God through redemption. Listen to what he says in chapter 8, verse 22 to 25. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In Hebrews, it talks about faith being the anticipation of what we don't have yet. That's faith. So as I've said, the New Testament strongly 
suggests that hope is eschatological. It looks forward. It looks, it's future-looking. It looks to the return of Christ in our presence with Him. But in the interim, in the meantime, hope gives rise to an ethical obligation that produces godly character. In other words, our hope in Christ looks forward. But our hope in Christ also, as we look forward, places this desire and longing in my own heart to live more like Christ while I'm here. Because that hope also creates in me the desire to become more like Christ, develop godly character. So it's not like permission to live like the devil and wait for paradise. It's becoming more Christ-like now and waiting for his return. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, if we, have but our, if we have put our hope in Christ in this life only, we are of all people most pitiable. So I want us to look, if you can pull up that next slide there, uh, next one, the diagram. There we are. Can you see that? Can you guys see that? Okay. Uh, I, w I want us to, you guys know that grammar is important to me. And, and Gerald did a great job of reading uh, this. Notice the first but. But, and, and we don't have time this morning, but that would mean that you should look at what comes before that because there's a contrast being made. But if, here's the first if, if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So if this is true, then how can you say this? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then, consequently, not even Christ has been raised. Okay, so Paul, with his logical mind, is mapping this out for us. And if Christ has not been raised, number one, our preaching is useless. You can all go home. So your faith is useless. Same thing. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God. For, because, we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. Second slide. But, same argument here, he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. If the dead are not raised, then he didn't raise him. For, if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are all of all people, most to be pitied. So there's the negative argument. Paul starts with a negative argument. If this is true, if this is all true, boy, are we in trouble. What are we doing here? It makes no sense. If, if, if Christ hasn't been raised, then none of this makes any sense. But then here comes the next but. Slide three. Oh, there we go. But... This is a really big but, one T. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. That's a pivotal statement. That's not, I think, I hope, I wish, maybe. That's a categorical statement. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That statement right there is the anchor to your faith and mine. It's the anchor to your hope and mine. 
For, and here's all of the following consequences, since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead came also through a man. For, as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. Paul wants to make it fairly clear here. I think it's about as clear as it could be. I think Paul was a lawyer, the way he talks. That Christ has been raised from the dead and that he is then, through his resurrection, the basis of our hope. An attitude of hope is the appropriate response to all the promises of God. And you and I, as believers, in a biblical sense, already participate in the reality for which you and I hope. <coughs> Christian hope has a already and not yet dimension. Si, pero todavía no. Yes, but not yet. We have this, but we're still waiting for the fulfillment. It is possible, necessary, to participate in a hope that influences the concrete forms of society now. And not only thinking pie in the sky by and by. In our adult Sunday school class this morning, we talked about how do we, how do we shine light in a dark world? How do we give hope where there isn't hope? Um, we shouldn't flee the darkness in the sense of wanting to escape. We should bring light to the world that needs it so badly. Jürgen Moltmann insists the coming lordship of the risen Christ cannot be merely hoped for and awaited. Christian hope challenges believers to engage the world to better its social structures. And we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In the Lord's Prayer. And I can't actually pray that, wanting it for you, if I don't want it for me first. It's a hypocritical prayer if I don't apply it to myself first. On the other hand, full participation in hope awaits the expectant return, second coming of Christ. Until then, believers face the crisis of life in the tension between the already and the not yet. That's the tension you and I live with. But above all, New Testament hope is Christological. It is squarely focused on Christ. With hope, Christians anticipate the future return of Christ. And in the present, believers ex exercise faith and develop confidence in God to fulfill His promises. So my question to you this morning, as we start our, our time of Advent, as we think of the coming of Christ some 2,000 plus years ago. Are you filled with hope this Christmas? Are you able to look over your heart at Christ and his faithfulness in your life, in what he has done? Have our circumstances, whether they be illness, COVID, loss, etc. Shaken our hope, our confidence? Do we have our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus Christ? I think there's a good reason to have the hope candle first. Because to me, hope really starts everything. 
And on our last Sunday, we'll light the Christ candle, the center one, because he is the center of our hope, our joy, our peace. He is the center of it all. Let's pray, and then I'll ask the praise band to come up. Heavenly Father, we, we recognize that there are days where it's difficult to hope. There are days where our circumstances, our challenges, our difficulties grab our attention so firmly that we forget or our eyes are taken off of the hope that you provide. And Lord, I also recognize that we live in a world that desperately needs the hope that you've given us. And you've called us as your children to share that hope with those around us. And, and I confess that there are days where we haven't done that very well either. But there's hope. And so this morning, Lord, we want to commit to this hope that is Christ, and this living hope that is also a living hope in our own hearts and lives, and we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you will move us and motivate us to trust you more and more each and every day. And may that hope then uh, shine forth from us individually and as a church family so that others will look to you. Walk with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.